prepare me to be a sanctuary, right in line with our quarter's lessons. I believe the words will be on the screen too. time for prayer and for those who are able to kneel, please kneel. Let's bow heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we gather together in your Sabbath day to pray for the forgiveness of our sins and to lift our hearts for the moving of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will anoint a messenger this morning with your Holy Spirit to speak to us so that our love for you will grow stronger. Be with us as we worship you and shine your light unto our lives. Cleanse our minds, O Lord, and lift us to a holier atmosphere. We want to live our lives of concern and dwell in your everlasting arms, full of faith and contentment and a world full of chaos and uncertainties. You are our God, full of love and mercy, the healer of our lives and lands. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown to us that you are the source of purity and the universe and that we can look forward to the days when you right every wrong. May our worship be acceptable to you today, dear Lord, our God and Savior. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
rumo a Jerusalém Comigo estava minha família Jesus vinha junto também Os anjos me saudavam a sorrir Todo o céu festejava e eu ali Com os salvos cantando vitória Eu e minha família Eu estava no céu As belezas incontáveis do lugar Jesus foi me levando e mostrando Maravilhas que não sei descrever Os anjos me saudavam a Stop.
Grandpa and Grandma. <laughs> How do I get rid of all this paper? Do I have room for my paper? Good morning. We'll start here in a minute. Just relax. Okay. My, uh, when I look at all these new faces, I'm going to introduce myself and my wife. So my name is Ron Williams. Ann Williams is my wife. <laughs> I've been a church member for 15 years, this church. I'm not trying to impress you with that, but... And Ann has been a church member all her life. Eighty. Oh, I better say. <laughs> we have lived in Williams Lake for sixty years. Can you believe that? Say wow. <laughs> we have four children, three boys, who are all taller than I am. Vancouver. I came straight from. Pardon? You live in Vancouver. Yeah, Anne lived in McBride, if anyone knows where that is, <laughs> or even if you care. I came, I lived in Vancouver for 24 years, then I moved up here, I met Anne, and for 40 years I wasn't a church member as she drove from Horsefly back and forth with all these four kids. Anyway, I joined 15 years ago, and I, it's the best thing that I ever did. Um, we, we have four children, I told you that, and uh, the youngest is our daughter. I mentioned, uh, it, and they're friends, because I mentioned their friends because while our kids were growing up, they brought their friends to our place, and they called us grandpa and grandma, can you believe that? So we have seven grandchildren, a little bit of experience there, and we were both teachers for many years. We were in the public school system. Anyway, as we put together our little report here, if you were a bunch of kids and I said it may be short, you'll be able to go home early, you'd all say, yeah, and that may happen because I didn't know, we didn't know how long, much time to allow for the first part. So as we put together our presentation during the week and keeping our time in mind, we had some serious discussions about a serious topic. So we actually have two presentations focused on grandparenting. So I'm going to leave Anne now to do her thing. I'll stay here in case she faints or something. <laughs> and then I'll um, do mine. You think I'm not weak? <laughs> never know. Uh. <clears throat> yes, being teachers was always, uh, you were always there to be the presenter, and, but this is so much different. So you just, um, pardon me if I do make mistakes, this is too close. Anyway, anyway this is about grandparenting <clears throat> for grandparents and grandchildren. Okay, we come to one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. And that is the story, well, I won't tell you. It'll come to you. 
there was a famine in the country of Judea, and some people decided they would move elsewhere. And so this family moved to Moab, a, a place that was not a Christian place. And so they dwelt there, and dwelt there for a while, and then Naomi lost her husband. That was her first blow. And it must have been terrible. Here you're in a strange country. Nobody uh, prays, believes in God. And here you are in, in this area, and your husband dies. That must have been terrible for her. Whether she, um, well, she had two sons that she leaned on. But, you know, it isn't the same when that breadwinner has gone. So Naomi was not very happy about the situation, uh, as you might know. And um, after Elimelech died, um, the sons both married Moabite women. Um, the sons' names were uh, uh, Mahon and Chilean. They married uh, Ruth and Orpah, and they lived there for, oh, 10 more years. And they, they got used to, the, used to the people and got to know more of the people and were quite happy there. And um, so Naomi, she leaned on her daughters-in-law, as you might uh, do um, in ordinary life. Uh, because that's all she had. And so she she was with them, and uh, wouldn't you know, her sons died. Whether they died at the same time or not, we're not told. But they had passed away. So now there's Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah left. And, oh, Naomi was so sad. So sad, so depressed, and she didn't know what to do. Then she finally decided, I have heard that in Judah, the famine is over, so I think I'll go back home. And so she decided to do this. She told her daughters-in-law. They said, we'll go with you. So they went on their way to go to uh, Judah. Judea, I guess it's called. And they, they traveled there, and finally um, Naomi stopped, and she said, girls, go back home. Go back home to your families, and then let me go to uh, Judah and Bethlehem on my own. They didn't want to, so they carried on a ways longer. And then she stopped again, please, girls, go to your home. Well, Orpah did. Orpah went home, but Ruth said, I'm not going. You can say what you want, but I am not leaving you alone. So Ruth said, where thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, 
and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And me also, and more also, if I ought but death part thee in me. And this is taken from Ruth 16 to 19. When she returned to Israel, she was in so much pain, so much pain was in her, ma- in her heart that she asked her friends not to call her Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. And she says, I am not pleasant. I am so much in pain. All my family is gone. I'm the only one left. And call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And she acted the part of being bitter as well. So she was, she didn't know for sure what to, where to, where Ruth should stay. And Ruth said, I'm staying with you. And tomorrow, because the barley harvest is just starting, I'm going to go and glean, and I will get some food for us. I think we can get corn there, and we'll get all kinds of things. I'll bring them home for you, Naomi. So she went to glean and um, got quite a bit, and they were able to manage. And, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a, of a cheery note for Naomi, too, because Ruth was going out and doing her thing and bringing home food for them to eat. And so... They were quite satisfied, but uh, little but uh, Naomi told Ruth that Elimelech has some property there in uh, in Judea, and she said, uh, "I could probably sell that property, and we could manage pretty well on that." And so then she said, um, "We also have." Um, a kinsman that um, that might be able to buy the property. And um, so Ruth just kept that in the back of her mind and didn't, didn't worry about that. But she kept gleaning and getting. It was the barley um, uh, harvest, and then it was other harvests. And she just went there and gleaned all the time and brought home food for her and um, Naomi. And then Naomi told Ruth that this kinsman of Elimelech's um, was going to buy the property. And so she was, Ruth wasn't too sure what this all meant. But if Naomi had property, then her living could be fairly um, stable. But anyway... She told her that somebody was going to buy this property. And so um, Ruth didn't know what that meant, so she just went on about her work and, and um, gleaned in the fields. And this man kept coming over to her, and he says, Look, you make sure and stay in this field, because the, the men will leave some, uh, some extra 
in the, on the field for you to take home. And she felt that that was kind of nice for him to do. And so she just kept close to them. And then she uh, heard that this man had, this um, kinsman had gone and found out where the other kinsmen were. Because, you know, if it's a big family, there are several people that are eligible to buy a piece of property. Well, so she, um, she just didn't pay much attention. And then uh, Naomi came and said, I think Boaz is going, going to buy the property. And so uh, as things went by, Boaz paid more attention to Ruth and got to know her. And he said, don't go eating anywhere else when you, at lunchtime. Come and eat here with, with my uh, people that are working in my fields. So she did. And uh, it felt so, so good to have somebody else around. But Naomi was still awfully bitter, awfully bitter about things. But she was feeling a little bit better because Ruth kept bringing things home to her. And she was feeling that life was treating her a little bit better. And so um, all of a sudden, um, Boaz decided it was time to marry Ruth. So he got Ruth, married Ruth, and as time went by, they had a little son. They had a son that uh, was a joy. He was, Naomi couldn't believe it. She uh, took the baby, put him in her bosom, and she was the nurse for him. Naomi could, she just, she was just over, over, overwhelmed with joy that here there was a little boy, little boy that would be, um, replace something that she had lost. And so the neighbor women came over and they were saying, Oh, this is a son born to Naomi. Isn't it funny how in those days they'd, they would say, it was born to you, but she was the grandmother. But uh, she, was, um, she was so thrilled to have him, and they named him. Uh, the women got together, we have to name him a good name because it's going to last. And so they named him Obed. I don't know of any anybody else named Obed. But anyway, Obed was his name. And his father was Jesse. And his grandfather was David. I'm sorry, his father was David. Grandchildren bring renewal. When she held the baby, her bitterness changed into pleasure. Grandparents should be concerned about the spiritual condition of their grandchildren. Number two, grandparents should be a spiritual example. Number three, grandparents should give their testimony. Sometimes giving a testimony may helps the children feel where they've come from and where they're, where they're intended to go. 
And so grandparents should bless their children and grandchildren. Jacob wanted his grandchildren to know all about their grandmother, Rachel. Remember, Rachel died many years ago as they were traveling, and they buried Rachel in their travels. But he didn't want them to forget Rachel. So he talked to them about Rachel, and he said, I want them to love her through me. So that was a really uh, big thing for, um, for Jacob. Jacob wanted that, and um, he was um, very anxious for them to know the whole family. Um, Jacob blessed his grandchildren, including Joseph's sons, the son Manasseh and Ephraim. They were both Egyptian and Hebrew. So he, uh, he, uh, wanted, he adopted them and gave them his name, and he gave them a promise of their future. That was the blessing given to Jacob, so he passed that blessing on. And the result uh, of the... I'm sorry. The result was victory for the kingdom of God. Because of the powerful influence and godly grandparents, they can bring the most gener uh, the next generation back to God. Your legacy goes from generation to generation, and it starts with you and your grandchildren. Sooner or later, your work is done because your grandchildren have all known you so well, and they are... Um, they are uh, ready to uh, take on anything that comes. And, but the, the, grand, the grandparents have worked with their grandchildren, and finally that is over. Grandchildren grow up, and they become uh, bigger, and they have their children to work with. So now, when these grandparents, their work is over, now it is time for the grandparents to fall in love with one another again because there are no grandchildren around and they can fall in love and be happy together. Thank you. Thank you, Han, Grandma. Okay, my turn. Uh, by the way, just before we start, I'd like to read a piece of uh, scripture that you're all familiar with. And it goes like this. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that's a really important piece of scripture. Because it's been proven several times that even children who in their teens wander off or go away or whatever, they will come back. They will come back, and they often, well, very often do. So that's, a, I'd like to go from there to my next point. And it's on the subject of learning. 
and training. By the way, did you watch that baby in the uh, dedication last Sabbath? The little baby in mama's arms? I watched that baby very seriously because I know that while that baby was looking around, it didn't fall asleep, it didn't do any yelling, it was looking all around, and that it was learning. And that's when a child learns most. From the age of zero to six, they learn more in that six-year period than they do the rest of their life. Because they're learning everything is so new. And they use all the senses. If you watch a baby, they're touching, they're hearing, they're smelling, they're tasting, and they're learning. And I think that's an important point to remember. So if you uh, are just now about to have a baby, <laughs> I see someone down there who's looking like a baby, like she's going to have a baby. That is from the year zero to six is when they learn the most. So remember that. It has been said, and I've, I've read this so many times, being in the busy business of teaching, and that these young ones never miss a thing. They never miss a thing. You know, they're watching all the time and they're learning and they're figuring out in their little minds how they can beat the parents aside, how they can get what they want by doing a certain thing. They, they're smart. They, they're crafty. And you have to be one step ahead of them or they'll get you every time. Anyway, I've put together 12 topics I feel are important as far as uh, grandparenting is. And, uh, of course, I won't have time to go to, the, to these 12 things that I feel are important, but I'll pick out one I'd like to just make a few points on. But I'll read you the 12 topics. First of all, guide your children and grand grandchildren towards good relationships and marriages by modeling for them. They're all, like I say, they're always watching. They may not say much, but they're watching. And it's our job as parents and grandparents to model a good relationship with each other, a good marriage, a happy home. That is important. Number two, teach them about God and spiritual things and the importance of the Bible. And where'd she go? Luckily, Anne, as part of our family, uh, was able to do that. I was on the sidelines all the time for a long time, and I regret that very much because our, none of our, all of our children are religious in a way. Not one of them tends church all the time. And I take that responsibility because I should have started when, when they were first born. And that's one big mistake I made. And so you must make sure you don't make those kind of mistakes. Think of the future all the time. What will be ahead if I do this or don't do this? Because I'll always regret what I didn't do religiously with our kids. Luckily, they turned out to be excellent children. And we're very proud of them. But that's one thing. 
Always be consistent and follow through with your plans. Don't um, get in a position where you promise them something or you're going to do something with them and then don't do it. Because they always remember that. You let them down. You let them down. It doesn't sound like it's important, but it is to the child's mind. I've heard this from students a lot. Play with them. Make sure you take time to play with them. And I mean it can be outside playing with them or inside. Always be, be in a, a game mood with them. And always, of course, show your love for them. I remember even teachers who would always stand up for their students. No matter what happened anywhere in the school, they were there with their student, say, backing them up, encouraging them, and helping them. And a parent has to always be there for them. Very important. Believe them and believe in, believe in them and never give up on them. I remember having parents coming in so frustrated. I don't know what to do with my child. I, I, I just don't know what more to do. I give up on them. Never, ever give up on them because they will come back to you eventually. So stick with them and encourage them, but never give up on them. Show your life the good. Share your life with them, the good and the bad. Don't, be forget, don't forget to tell them the, the mistakes you made and the mistakes that they're going to make, but share your life with them the good parts and the bad parts. Maybe not go too bad, but <laughs> you've got to be honest with them. Let them know how Christ has worked your life. This is a part that I let my kids down on. Luckily, Anne was always there with it, but I didn't. And as I said, I regret that. Be a good listener. And I'd like to come back to that just before we go. Be a good listener. Take time to listen to them. We always seem to be in a rush. I got to go. I got to do this. Or I got to go here. Take time to listen to them. They want to talk. And I'd like to come back to that for a minute. And be available for them. Get to know them as soon as they are born. Right away. Don't, don't back off because you're dad or you're grandpa. Don't back off. Be with them right from the beginning and be with them all the time. They're, our kids now move away. They go away. They take our grandchildren with them. And you can lose contact. Even with modern electronics, you can just make excuses and you lose, you lose touch with them. And then it's hard to come back to them. So be consistent. All the time, be with them. With even letter writing now, as it's coming back. Write a letter to them. Oh, no one gets letters. You've seen that commercial. No one gets letters today. Yeah, they do. Be patient with their needs and requests. It's so important to be patient with them. And always work with their, with their parents as a grandparent. Make sure you're working with your kids who are their parents. 
Anyway, from the list, I just wanted to come back to be a good listener. And from being in school, kids want to talk to someone. I know that. And if it's not you, then they're going to talk to someone else. They'll talk to anyone who will take the time to listen, to just sit down and close your mouth as a grandparent and listen. We always so often throw in our little and interrupt their trend of thought with our ideas. Just listen to them. Let them ramble. Let them go on and on. But listen. And with the proper questions periodically, you can draw a lot out of them. You're not looking for secrets. You're just wanting them to, how do you feel about this? How do you think about that? What do you think about the, the people your age taking drugs? How do, they, how do they talk to you about drugs? And it's so, it's so educational for an adult to listen to a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old's ideas on what's going on in the world. No, they don't have anything. They don't know enough about it. Oh, they do. They know more than you know sometimes. And, you've, and you'll never find out unless you take the time to sit down and let them talk. I remember in school when I, they'd come to school before school started, and I'd be at my desk pretending I'm working, and actually working. And they'd come in in small groups of maybe, as the bus, they'd come in and maybe five or six of them, and they'd sit off in the corner of the room, and, then, and they'd forget you're there. They'd forget I'm there. They, they, I was just puttering around, and I could listen to them talking. And I'd pretend I was doing things, but boy, I was sure listening. And they could tell, their conversation was unbelievable because they were talking to each other and there was no one hanging over them with throwing in their ideas. Let them talk. So I'd listen to these kids and they, I'd learn more about their parents and their friends and their enemies and their uncles and their aunts than you would believe. Sometimes I'd meet with a parent and I knew more about them than they would, they would ever want me to know. Just because I was listening all the time you listen. Don't always talk. Listen. Let them ramble. Let them talk. Teenagers are unbelievable organisms. And if you let them tell you things, they'll go on and on and on and on. It's beautiful. So that was always a great education, sitting in the classroom there and quiet. They'd forget you're there after a while. And they just go on and on and on. So as grandparents, that is your own, that happens in your own home as grandparents. And as grandparents, I don't know how many grandparents are here, but I can tell there are a few. We owe it to our kids and to our grandkids to be with them, to support them, to help them, and to listen to them. And as grandparents, we have some time to do that now. That's what Bob's retiring, I think. Wow, he's going to have more time now to be involved with his grandchildren. And you take the time now to do it. Don't let them get away from you. 
Sometimes it's hard to go back to them. They're off somewhere else. Yeah, I'm nearly finished. I'll let you go home early. Sometimes you get a little, <laughs> little involved when you're talking about young teenagers. Like I say, they're unbelievable organisms. What goes on in those heads is just a phenomenal. But you got to give them a chance to let loose. Don't always hover over them. Don't be overly protective. Anyway, makes me want to go back into teaching, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep up to them, physically or mentally. Um, Ellen White said, this is just to finish off here. Ellen White said, the home that is beautiful, the home that is beautified by love, sympathy, understanding, tenderness, is a place that Jesus loves to visit and where he is glorified. The influence of a carefully guarded home in the years of childhood and youth is the surest safeguard against the corruptions of the world. In the atmosphere of such a home, the grandchild will learn to love their parents, their grandparents, and their heavenly father. It's a beautiful topic talking about kids from zero to... By the way, you never get rid of them, you know. <laughs> I'm rambling now and I'll get out of here. But you do, you never get rid of them. Even when they're... We have great grandkids now and we worry about them. And they're... They've, they're parents phone us and tell us we have two right now who are sick and so we're sweating at home what's going on they're way off in Kamloops so you can't just take them in your arms and baby them so we worry about them and they'll be they'll be with us well you know what I'm trying you never do get rid of them they're always there for you to worry about and you love them all the time and you hope for the best for them and then they go to school and they have problems and oh my goodness but it's great being a parent or a grandparent I'll tell you that anyway I don't want to waste any more of your time so but just before you go I'm a great fan of John Rosamond I don't know if you get the book The Signs of the Times I, I love his articles and I want to leave you with one thing before I do. And this is a challenge. And here's what John Rosman, he gets questions from parents and he answers them. And I like his philosophy, don't over-test and label your kids. We live in a world now where you have to test everything. You've got to test this. I mean, they've got ADHD or they've got BHBL or whatever you want to call them. You don't want to test them and test them and then label them and label them. Let them grow up. Now, I'm not saying there aren't kids with problems, but I'm saying there are not that many. I, we had them in school. 
One year they do really well with a particular teacher, no problem. The next year they're just explosive. They won't sit down, they won't do anything. What do you think? It's not the kid's problem, it's the teacher's problem. Don't go and have them tested and labeled and start putting pills into them. Ritalin or whatever they've got going these days. Don't do that yet. Let them grow. Anyway, I've got a, a, a challenge here for you. This is a John Rosman question. And if you wish to think about it and, and answer it, put it in my mailbox. I'll tell you John Rosman's answer on the bulletin board in a couple weeks. Here's the problem. A parent writes in. When I attempt to put my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter in her room for punishment, she refuses to go. Uh-oh. I have to pick her up, take her there, during which time she flails her arms, she screams, and she kicks. My back is paying for the struggle of picking this kid up. Her dad doesn't have a problem with her, by the way. What can I do to make her go on her own without getting physical with her? Now, if you were asked that problem, what would you suggest or recommend for this parent? Think about it. And if you want to put up what you would do in there, I'll put his um, reply and he didn't recommend her to be tested and drugged. He doesn't do that. Anyway, thank you. Okay, I want to end with a prayer. So if you just bow your heads and I'll try and not get into the Ukraine. So we'll stick to this. So if you'd bow your heads now. Jesus, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be talking to you in prayer. This week we have put a special effort, effort into reminding ourselves how important family is to you. Parenting and grandparenting parenting plays such a direct role in keeping a family biblically involved. Today there are many families falling apart, children leaving their families and going to others, children living on the streets, children wandering with no one to love. Father, we need your help and we need your direction to bring the families together and to encourage all of us to put family on our list of improvement and to make us aware of family problems in our community and how we, as a church, can help our community. We have some serious problems in our family world Father, we need your help. We are fumbling in our attempts to solve our family problems throughout the world, throughout our country, 
and our community. Be with us, Father. We need your help. We need your direction. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.